welcome to our premiere edition of Legacy Listening. I'm your host, Nancy Predahl, Lampernearson President and CEO. As an advocate for building resiliency and value in our communities, I am passionate about deepening our impact around these conversations. Through our quarterly podcast, we'll learn from unique and dynamic voices across the communities we serve. Staying in the know about ever-changing communities and how we can all leave a legacy strengthens our ability to deliver visions of a better tomorrow. Our guest today is Chantel Mallory Esquire. Chantel joined the Lampernearson Board of Directors as its newest member in 2021. We're grateful to have her on the team. She is the Executive Director for the Nebraska Legal Diversity Council and a Race and Law course adjunct professor at her alma mater, Creighton University School of Law. Driven to make a difference, Chantel has practiced law for the past 15 years and brings her background of agility coaching, training, human resources, organizational culture, diversity, equity, and inclusion to her board member role. Chantel, we're so pleased to ha- that you could join us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Um, it's an honor to be a guest and to be your first guest and to serve on the board. Um, I've had a wonderful welcoming to the organization in the last year or so that I've been involved and learned a great deal. So I'm really glad to be here talking with you today. As you know, Chantel, our company's mission statement is to leave a legacy to enduring improvements to our communities. How does that purpose of leaving a legacy resonate with you? You know, I'm glad that that is, you know, the purpose of the organization. I try to align myself with organizations that um, are very purpose-driven. And I think that leaving a legacy resonates with me because, um, it really centers on shared accountability and responsibility and being more than just what we do from nine to five, being about more than our position or our job or our title or things that are centered on us. This really centers on others and the collective community. And I think it's the responsibility of us as professionals to make sure that we are doing that, make sure that we're out in the community making a difference that we're utilizing even our work to make that difference. A lot of people think of work as just kind of what I'm doing in the here and now. So centering on the legacy that you will leave that may not affect you or you might not even be around to see is a huge thing. And so I'm glad to be involved um, on the board of an organization that is so futuristic about their thoughts and very selfless about, you know, I might not see this in my lifetime, but I'm planting seeds that will come up and leave a legacy for the future. So it resonates with me a great deal. No, thank you for that. I think that, you know, the, the idea of, um, legacy for us is in the built environment, we build things that last for generations. So we want to make sure that we're, we're keeping that in mind as we move forward with our work, because what we do lasts and we want to make sure that that has an impact. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so for today, the conversation, I really want to gear it toward how we have grown as an organization, how we're continuing to grow as an organization. I recently had the opportunity to participate on a DEI panel at the ICANN's Women's Conference in Omaha. Bianca Harley was a, a moderator, and she did an amazing job. She's the Vice President of Human Capital Inclusion at the Omaha Performing Arts. She opened the panel with a great question about each of the panelists' personal DEI journey 
and how that has affected us as the dual pandemics of COVID-19 and systemic racism collided in 2020. Sure. For me, leading through the beginning of the pandemic was challenging enough, but the summer of 2020 was really a game changer. I live in Omaha near one of the protest sites that were held that summer. On a late Friday afternoon, I was sitting in my backyard writing a message to staff about the events of the week after George Floyd was murdered and then days after James Skurlock was killed in the, at a protest in Omaha about how, as an individual, I take a knee against racism. Helicopters circled overhead, and the smell and taste of tear gas was wafting in the air. And at that moment, I realized that I was not doing enough to support diversity, equity, and inclusion. I realized that being a woman engineer was not enough, and overcoming my own personal trauma was not enough. The diversity I represented was also touched with privileged and did not relieve me the responsibility to dig deeper. That was the beginning of my personal commitment to do more. Chantel, what has influenced your thinking around DEIJ and has motivated you to get involved in being an advocate for change? Sure, that's a great question. And um, thank you for sharing your perspective of kind of how it was for you. I know that 2020 was certainly a year of opened eyes and opened hearts for a lot of people. Um, And it was really impactful on me as well. Um, And so, you know, I will say that what motivated me to get involved in diversity, equity, inclusion, justice issues, um, trying to help other organizations to incorporate access and belonging into their workplace cultures and all of those things um, really started off as lived experience. Um, So I've kind of always been a person who was very social justice oriented, um, very mindful of like current events and what's going on by nature of my profession as an attorney. um, That's part of it. You know, that's just kind of where my interest lies. But I think also because of my intersectional identities as a black woman, um, navigating a lot of spaces that are very uh, non-diverse and then some spaces that are actually anti-black or anti-woman. So, of course, my eyes are constantly open to those issues, and my lived experience shapes my interest in this work a great deal. Um, I've always been an instigator for change, an ally for other marginalized groups. Um, A lot of my employment has centered on that. A lot of the organizations that I align myself with strategically and intentionally center on how I can help others who might not have power or voice or a seat at the table, um, or commentary on kind of the things that are going on in society. I've always been kind of an igniter of conversations and an advocate for change, especially systemic change, um, because I feel like that's where we're really going to move the needle on diversity, equity, and inclusion in society as a whole. Um, I think that what really shaped kind of that purpose and passion for me where it's kind of a requirement of the things that I'm involved in Mm -hmm. was my own experience navigating some of these harmful systems, um, some of the inequities that are involved. As a legal practitioner, um, my, my profession is very noble, but it's also 
very old and conservative and set in ways. We do things this way and that way. Very much a respecter of processes and not as much looking at equity as much as equality. And I think it's really important that we step outside of just feeling like we need to treat everyone equally and in a blank way and really step into a brave space of looking at where there are inequalities. Also, as a legal practitioner, there are times when the legal system, the justice system, has been used to perpetuate harm Mm -hmm. on people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm really interested in working in a system where that doesn't happen anymore. And so that's some of my motivation around it and where kind of my influence began. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I know a commitment to DEIJ is not just an item that you can mark off um, the corporate or nonprofit checklist. It requires a shift in thinking and company culture. What are some specific ways that you've advocated for change or the successes and challenges you faced? Um, That's a great question. And you're right. um, You know, that's not something that is just compliance oriented. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I really would love if people take nothing else out of the work that I'm doing, it's to move beyond that compliance and really talk about how do we affect organizational change top to bottom? How does everyone speak to that? How do they model that? How do we walk that talk? Because earlier you brought up like the events of 2020 and a lot of social justice uh, conversation began to be sparked and there was a lot of unrest and a lot of people saying, how has this gone on for so long? How do we actually like help and, and what do we do? And so you saw a lot of people, you know, releasing statements and, you know, diversity statements and a lot of just kind of quick action around it, but then kind of what is the the meat and potatoes, if you will, behind the substance, where's the substance behind some of those um, statements that were released and Beyond just compliance, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, We want to look to how do I create a work atmosphere where people feel valued, they feel able to be authentic. Um, And so in many ways, I've advocated for that change through creating the race and law class for Creighton Law School. So lots of specific ways that I've had the opportunity to advocate for that change, most recently in developing the race and law class for the Mm. Creighton Law School, which was an amazing opportunity um, to be called back to Creighton in that Mm -hmm. capacity. And it kind of speaks to what you were talking about earlier about that legacy that you create, because in staying close to the Creighton Law School, I was able to be kind of fresh on folks' minds and involved in this work and get invited back to do that that class, which has been wonderful. Um, And so, you know, part of it comes through in consulting work that I've done. Um, It is also going into organizations, training, Mm -hmm. uh, really helping organizations at the ground level to create this shared language that they can all use to discuss uh, DIJ conversations, which are, you know, kind of itchy conversations to have. So it helps to have these tools, to have someone who is there helping to walk you through things. And so that's been a big part of ways that I've tried to advocate for change, little things at a time. I think it's really important for us to keep in mind that 
again, we're planting seeds. And so mm-hmm. these are conversations that are just like the start of what we're actually going to be doing and hopefully the start of what the legacy is for the organization. And it's something that is slow work. I tell people this is like long haul stuff. So mm-hmm. if you're looking to you know, start to implement these changes and think that something is gonna happen overnight, that's the wrong type of change to think that that's going to happen with. Um, You're going to face challenges over the last year or so, you know, just to be completely transparent. I have noticed a big change in diversity and inclusion work as a practitioner. Mm. Um, In 2020, the George Floyd murder was very fresh on everyone's mind and everyone was looking for ways that they could get involved and, That glaring uh, issue that happened and blew up really became like society's big, you know, sore thumb and Mm -hmm. you couldn't ignore it anymore. Mm -hmm. And people really wanted to know, you know, how do I activate around that? And they were excited. And that was great. And since then, some of that excitement has, one, kind of died down. And then, two, there's been some pushback, um, some backlash. I feel like there's always kind of this pendulum that's swinging. Mm -hmm. And so now we're on the other side of that. And so that's been the challenge in this work this year. It's felt a lot different than the 2020 kind of open arms. What can we do? Um, Now we're starting to see a lot more rhetoric and why, you know, why do we still have to talk about this and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And so that's been a challenge this year in trying to continue to lead in this area. You know, Chantel, I appreciate we um, had Chantel and Marty Kerrigan um, do some training for us, and we started at that fundamental, you know, what is the language that we use and how do we, how do we build that as a team? And I appreciate your comments of, you know, it's, it's a long process. It's the long haul. It's not, there's not a quick fix. And establishing and maintaining a culture of belonging requires a shift from awareness to empathy and then demonstrating inclusive leadership behaviors that cultivate trust among colleagues and clients. And it, and it it is for that long haul. And so when you think about that long haul, Chantel, what do you feel is the most beneficial way to build cultural bridges and have an uplifting impact? I mean, you mentioned that, you know, there's some waning attention to this. And I think, how do how do we keep that um, attention there so that we can have meaningful change? I think it's continual conversation um, and really getting folks to a point where they feel that shared accountability and responsibility. Um, You know, as someone who's serving on the board, I know you're going through processes to develop core values around this topic, and I think that's incredibly important work um, to make sure that folks understand that from the time they come in the door, uh, new employees, until the time they leave, this is what's important to us. Mm -hmm. Um, This is one of the things that is important to us. Just as important as business development and all of the other aspects of of working here and the actual like physical work that we do are those intangible things, the helping uh, to build relationships, the conversations, the valuing the differences between each other. really trying to create an organizational culture where this is ingrained. So you all are doing those things and you're doing them very well. Um, And 
paying attention to what this issue actually means is huge. Um, it is, you know, interaction and conversation. It is storytelling. It is finding those hidden differences on our teams that are below kind of the surface level, getting to know someone for mm -hmm. work. Um, there are incredible strengths and talents on our teams that we don't know about because we don't know each other's stories. And so um, creating a culture where you're collaboratively moving through that type of work is, is huge. It's a, a big piece of it, I believe. You know, it, when I think about this issue and then in the work we do at Lamper Nearson in the built environment, and then our purpose statement of leaving a legacy, I, I tie it back to um, our core values, our purpose statement, and the impact we can have. There's a quote, author Mickey Kendall once noted, we have to be willing to embrace the full autonomy of people who are less privileged and understand that equity means making access to opportunity easier. Civil engineering can play a critical role in social, racial, economic, and environmental justice, but this concept is relatively new for many, and we have to tie it back into the work that we do every day. As technical professionals in the AEC industry, we have a unique opportunity to incorporate equity into the built environment, and that, I believe, is our role and mission at Lampernearson. What do you feel that the AEC industry can do to advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice? Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, having these conversations at your conferences and conventions and making this a part of continuing education. Uh, and, you know, I struggle sometimes with making things requirements because I know that we have to do that. Um, but I also really, in my heart of hearts, desire for people to want to embrace the differences between us. Um, and so I wish we didn't have to mandate some of those things, but sometimes it starts off at, as that and it morphs into something else. So I think making sure that that is a part of the curriculum of continuing education in the field is huge. Mm -hmm. um, just making sure that there are diverse voices at the table, diverse ideas, um, representation is huge. And so when you're looking to expand the pipeline of diverse people coming into this work, which is a challenge for me in the legal profession, I know it's yes. similarly mm -hmm. a challenge for you all, you know, representation is huge. You want to go out into the community and attract diverse folks to your profession. And so how do you have this representation that rises above, like, tokenism, mm -hmm. making sure, well, we have to have someone who fits this demographic in these pictures and those sorts of things. How do we infuse this into the entire culture of our company so that when people see us, that's just what they see? That's long-haul stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important for the industry to focus on getting there, um, knowing that we're not going to get there overnight, but if we focus on incrementally getting there and infusing this into this is just the practice of what we do um, in our in our industry, we are interested in diverse perspectives. We are interested in strong teams. We are interested in inclusive environments. We are interested in our policies and procedures reflecting our commitment to that. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's where the biggest strength lies in starting that work. And then if I will add, I think part of it is making sure that the industry is utilizing folks, experts, you know, keeping a pulse on what's going on in this area. Um, since it is kind of outside of, you know, just the strict 
practice of engineering and architecture and construction and things like that. Um, really like keeping abreast of what's going on in the DEI field and making sure that um, they have a pulse on that. That's, that's very important as well. Um, one thing I've learned by being a practitioner is that I'm continually learning about DEI. Things change so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really staying on top of that, um, shifting mindsets to more of accountability and responsibility rather than like blame and shame. Um, I think that breaks down some of the defensiveness to it. And then creating like a collegial environment where we all see, hey, we're all working on this Mm -hmm. and we're all in this together and we all need to accept that this is kind of the future of where things are going. Um, Being very futuristic and strategic around these conversations is huge. Our workplace has changed completely Mm -hmm. with these two pandemics that Bianca talked about. Um, And so what people are looking for in a place to work, in a position, what gives people job satisfaction, that feeling of belonging within a company is is very much different. Um, and I don't believe that this is a thing where, oh, when this is over, we'll just all go back to the way we were. Like, this really changed mindsets. And so I think it's, uh, you know, I say all that to say that I think it's important for every industry, um, including the uh, industry that you work in, day-to-day to really make sure that we are keeping a pulse on what's new and what has changed and really accepting that we're going to have to embrace this new normal as opposed to going back to the way things were. I think that's a really important point, Chantel, that you know, we've this idea that there is a, that going back to where things were, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. No. Th- that we've changed. We've changed as Absolutely. a society, as a community, just in general, we've changed. We've been changed. Absolutely. And so it's important that we do that future thinking and really look towards how do, how do we create a space where everybody can feel included and welcomed and grow and be their best. And as a, as an organization where our team is our biggest asset, we have to think about how do we raise everybody up so they can mm-hmm. perform their best and they can be in a place that they feel like they're supported in that way. You know, and I think about, you know, there's a lot that's going on um, around infrastructure. The, the recently passed Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act, IIJA, included provisions for infrastructure equity in general projects as well as specific investment goals that aim to correct historic disparities in community development. The AEC industry will need to lead the way to achieve equitable infrastructure investment. But first, we really have to develop a clear understanding of the relationship between communities we shape and the systems we create. They're mm-hmm. not separate. And you've heard of the wicked problems um, idea that a wicked problem is something that there's no easy solution. Sure. This is, this is that. Mm-hmm. And in an ideal state, the path to equity could be a fluid motion forward but a process that evolves our society in a more fair and equitable space, but that's really not going to happen. Fluidity doesn't work with wicked problems. Sure. And there, you know, problems are going to arise or that we don't even know about or that already exist. So how do you suggest we navigate wicked problems as a community and lead the way? I think one of the biggest things is knowing that there has to be a shakeup of the status quo. Um, you can't just operate like business as usual and think that you're gonna eradicate some of these major systemic societal problems. Um, 
you know, there's the saying that nothing changes unless you change something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really centering on change is big. And change is like that scary concept for many people. I think we tackle those wicked problems with boldness and braveness and togetherness. If I had like three things that I think Mm -hmm. would would really help that. Um, Knowing that we're all in it together, um, knowing that no matter what your position is in the company or in the industry or what your role is going to be in helping to create this infrastructure equity that we're all a team in this. And this is something that we all need to be attentive to. So that togetherness is huge. Having everyone in the car driving in the same direction is is a big deal. Um, That doesn't mean that you agree with absolutely everything, but it means that you are respectful of the fact that our workplace is better when we have more inclusive teams. Our community is better when there's more equitable access and when systems are not harmful uh, to people. And then I think the braveness and boldness comes in knowing that all decisions around what you're going to do to make the community uh, structures and buildings more uh, equitable for folks is not always going to be a a popular decision. There are some folks that can't move past this concept of, um, you know, just making sure that there's equity in what's going on and meeting folks where their needs are, um, offering different solutions for different people, for different problems. Um, Some folks are just like, no, we should do everything uniformly. And that fails to acknowledge the fact that there are some people who are being very much left out of this Mm -hmm. this picture. And we have a responsibility as, you know, professionals, educated folks who are in positions of influence, you know, having a say-so in how your community is structured, that's a huge position of influence. And with that influence and power comes a responsibility uh, for us to make sure that we are incorporating everyone into that picture. And so I think we have to make sure that we know that this isn't, you know, this isn't a zero-sum game. Like when I yield a little bit of my privilege or power to incorporate other people into the fold who may have been left out of things in the past, who, you know, structures have not necessarily uh, been made in a way that really truly accommodates someone with a disability. Uh, Recently, I've been so much more cognizant of uh, how poorly structured a lot of our our buildings are. My Mm -hmm. father is in a wheelchair. Um, He utilizes one now. And Geez, just navigating mm-hmm. like grocery shopping, um, doctor's appointments, um, really having to think about where we're going to go and what we're going to need to be able to ha- have him enjoy that experience has been major. Um, you know, things like navigating restrooms and, mm-hmm. you know, stairways and alternatives for that. And um, all of those things have traditionally been. Uh, made in a way that doesn't necessarily take folks with disabilities into consideration in the first place. Um, and so I use that as an example of our diversity and inclusiveness to say that as we go about understanding this relationship between how we shape communities, how we create systems, we have to be 
bold about that. We have to realize that we're going to have to meet folks at different places and it's okay to do that. And that doesn't take anything away from anyone else who maybe doesn't fall in that marginalized identity. Um, we have to start looking at things from a perspective of togetherness, I think. You know that um, my granddaughter's in a program, a drama program this summer, and she was telling us about the part she has last night. And she said, they asked me if it was okay if the part I had identified with the gender or if I wanted to identify with a different gender in the part. And I thought it's an easy question and it's such an inclusive question. Right. And it just made her feel comfortable that she could choose Sure. Choose what part she wanted, and, and gender didn't matter. Absolutely. And it, it so it's those small acts that can have a big impact. It is, and it's asking those questions and fostering those conversations. She felt safe to choose sure. what she wanted to choose. That's good. With no judgment. It's really good. You know, um, so as, and I think about back to what you were talking about this this um, idea that we don't take away from someone else to grow, and I. I love this book, um, Grow the Pie, by mm -hmm. Alex Edmond, and I'm, I'm a, a huge fan of it, and I tell everybody about it, but mm -hmm. it, it is, it's this idea that we can grow our pie, and we don't have to take anything from anyone. If everyone has an opportunity to be at the table to grow, then you grow shareholder value, you grow value in your community, and it's not a zero-sum game. Sure. And with that idea, um, we have made a commitment and to make progress on preparing our legacy design guide for equity and sustainability. And we're going to make that part of our project work. And a lot of it, as you mentioned, you know, navigating buildings with your dad in a wheelchair, it's good design practice. Sure. But it also helps us, will help us in our conversation on how do we elevate sustainability into our projects, how do we elevate the idea of equity in our projects, and bring in good design, asking the question, what gender do you identify with? Um, in a role for a play. It's the same kind of thing, but for infrastructure. Um, throughout the creation of this guide, we thought about overall shareholder value, this growing the pie, and we researched methods that align with that purpose. We use the Envision um, sustainability rating system, which is it's just got a really good base on good design principles on how you can add value to projects and to your communities. And the intent of this guide is to make a difference in our communities, build our business, and create value for everyone. With this kind of mindset, what type of impact do you feel that this guide could have on our communities? Well, first, I guess I'll say, um, you know, just hearing about it is exciting um, because I think it's really important work. I think it'll have a huge impact. Um, just the mindfulness that you're putting into thinking about how to do this and do it in a transformative way. Um, do it in an impactful way. I think that's just a, a big part of, of the impact that it will have. So kudos to you for um, really developing this. I mean, let's let's be real. It's a, it's a company. It's a corporation. You're here to make money. Um, you have people to pay, and those folks have lives to live. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we do that and also create something good for other people who may not even know who we are? I walk into buildings all day, every day. I have no idea who made them, created them, anything. But how it was done affects me. Um, and so I think that's huge. I think you all are leveraging, like, your human capital and all of the skills and assets you have, the talent that you have here, to be transformative to the community, and that's great. Um, I think um, – so this is giving everyone – 
a chance to be futuristic and to realize that they are an impact leader in their individual work. Um, and it's really thinking about what is to come. How do we build a better society for our children, our grandchildren, our descendants that we have no idea about, um, and for ourselves. Like I start to think about now, I'm in my 40s, what will society look like? What will I need? You know, navigating this life with my dad right now, I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, what will I need in 30, 40 years? You know, um, you just never know what you might need. And boy, am I grateful for <laughs> organizations that are out creating structures in the community really thinking about these issues right now. It's just not even something that was kind of on my radar before I had to navigate it with my dad. Um, and so I'm really proud to serve on a board uh, for a company who is thinking about these things in such futuristic and impactful ways. And really, I would say sitting down to think about the work that I do um, versus the work that you all do, we're all out here in these small ways trying to make impact within the community. And if everyone in every role in every industry is thinking about these things, gosh, look at the collective impact that we could have across the board um, for how we are building society for the future. So it's great. I think it's wonderful that you're that you're working on this project. It's, it's really important work. We're excited to roll it out and um, have people start um, incorporating it into their project work and we're, we're doing that work now but it's it's codifying it it's sure. really bringing intention and attention to it and I think that's important for the messaging piece and how how we uh, show up in the community I think it's really important absolutely so much of the work that we do do is in communities all the work we do infrastructure the built environment is it impacts communities and it may not be possible to work directly in every affected community, but developing empathy for people from different backgrounds certainly is. Chantel, what do you think about the various ways that people can increase their empathy and reduce bias in the work that they're doing day to day? Sure, that's a great question. Um, it's an important question to ask. We should all be thinking about our biases and we should all be um, practicing empathy toward others. Um, you know, bias is that kind of tricky thing that's really hard for us to admit that we have. Um, but when we spend that time in reflection and mindfulness, and when we realize that we are not in it alone, that everyone is walking around with these, these biases, all of the research says that our human brains process so many pieces of information that if we actually process them all, who knows what would have happened to our minds. It's just too much. So we make these shortcuts and we rely on past experiences that we've had and messages that we've received. And all of these things come into play when we're making decisions. And so the more mindful, the more mindfulness that we can practice around our biases and acknowledging that we have them and really examining how they come into play in the decisions that we make in the workplace and what we're doing in the community, uh, in our families, and, and how we're teaching our families to interact with others in society that are different from us, then the better that we can be. Uh, I think that takes a lot of not only reflection and mindfulness, as I talked about, but also some intentional inclusion in our interactions. Mm -hmm. How do we get to know folks that don't come from the same background as us? Um, how do we 
find out people's stories and then show empathy, not sympathy, not pity, not co-opting, but actually um, approach folks and their stories and their life circumstances with empathy. That's huge. Um, I think it takes growth goals pretty much in everything else we do in life. We set goals, whether that's our finances or, you know, how we want to achieve things in our careers or our education, um, what we want to see our kids do as they grow. Um, and I feel like DEI work is, is the same way. You know, you approach it in the same way. You intentionally create this interaction and inclusion with others, these goals that I'm setting on how I'm going to improve, where I'm going to go with my own individual mm -hmm. DEI journey. Um how I'm going to incorporate that into my work, into my social life, into how I just treat people kindly when I'm out interacting in the community. Uh, and then also being accepting of that bias and doing that without feeling defensive or fragile. And that's that one's probably the most challenging one. I read a quote once that said, I am not to blame for the snow falling, but I am responsible for shoveling it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. You know, not approaching bias from a standpoint of, you know, I'm to blame for these huge societal problems that are happening. I might not be to blame for them, but I do have some privilege as an educated professional person who has a way to make some changes. I have that responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so approaching it from that standpoint, I believe, helps to eliminate some of the defensiveness against bias because it's not fun to admit that we have them, but we all do. Um, and it's more about how we're mindful of it and how we utilize it, break it down, and make sure that we're not harming anyone with it. That's important. And so those are kind of some ways that I think we can individually look at increasing our own personal empathy and then reducing some of the bias that we may have. I thank you for that. I think it's so important that, you know, it what you mentioned, Chantel, for me is like starting where you're at and 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 just acknowledging it. And that that takes work. Sure. And then and then what's the next step? And I think that's what we're doing at Lampernearson is taking that next step and that next step and that next step. And then how do we really coming back to that, how do we add value to our community? And when we add value that it, it leads us to our legacy of leaving enduring improvements in our community and that and that resonates with our team it sure. resonates with the, our clients and that's the work that we want to be doing uh, going forward so thank you so much for coming in today and and chatting with me that's all the time we have thank you for having me thank you all for tuning in to the legacy listening podcast i'm your host nancy predal i'd like to once again thank our guest Chantel for joining us today for our premiere episode. Exciting. Hooray, we did it. Exciting. <laughs> it was a pleasure and honor to have you with us today. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Like, share, and tune in next quarter as we continue the conversation. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.